0: Well, this is Labor Day weekend this morning. We're going to be talking about work and um, good work and gospel work. Um, My first work was uh, at Women's Shoes at Nordstrom's. I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was, I think, 16 years old and I needed a seasonal job and my youth leader decided that it was a good idea uh, to invite one of his youth students uh, to help him sell women's shoes at Nordstrom's. I think it was called Brass Rail, blast Plum, Plum, Women, you, you, get, you get, yeah, okay, yes, okay, that's where I was, and uh, sometimes I was in the back, and sometimes I was in the front, and uh, I wasn't very really good at it, because I'm not like the high-pressure guy, and so uh, I was 16 years old, and I found like, you know, I, I should do some different work, and so, but I, I stayed there for a while, and, uh, and my first actually real sort of work job outside of that was interning at my, at my church at the time. So I I sold women's shoes, and then I went into ministry work, and I've been doing that work for over 20 years now. And I can tell you on a more serious note that um, as I entered that work, I may have mentioned this before, but I really entered it for a number of reasons. One of the reasons, not the main reason, but one of the reasons was I really honestly believed that the work that I would do in ministry was better than the work that anyone else would do outside of vocational ministry. I thought, I will do the best work. I will do better work. And so this is the place that I I can do it. And uh, I was a good self-righteous church kid, and so that made sense to me at the time. And that has not made sense to me for quite some time. Because what I've realized over the years is actually not true. That all work is meaningful work because God invites us into the work, and we're going to be talking about that this morning. I I realized that in in very... um, kind of a 4D or 4K kind of colorway, after I came back from my sabbatical a few years ago, I studied Theology of Ordinary, and I read a bunch of books, and I spent time thinking about the ordinary work that we do as as people and as Christians, and when I came back, I, I met with many of the men in our church, and I went to their offices, and I saw their work, and I learned about what they were doing, and the ways they were integrating their faith in their work, and it really solidified this idea for me that all work is meaningful work, or all work can be meaningful work. As God invites us into it. And this morning, the first thing I want to say is that God is a worker. God is a worker, and God does good work. And, and you don't have to go past, you know, the first chapter of the Bible to, to figure that out. In Genesis 1, it says, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good and there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So we'd see God creating for six days, and at the end of it, at the end of all the things that God had created, we see that it was very good. God was at work creating everything that you and I know and see and can't see. And from the earliest chapters of the Bible, we learn that, that work is good. And the reason that work is good is because God is a worker, and everything that God is, and everything that God does is good. God is working And that inherently makes work good. And in this sense, we see God as a good worker, and we see a number of ways that God is working. You know, what would his job description be? Well, he is creator, and he is builder, and he is provider, and he is sustainer. And from the earliest chapters of the Bible, we're not only struck with this fact that, that God works and that his work is good, but that God invites people into his work. And that's the second, just sort of main thing I want to say this morning, is that God invites people into his good work, and, and I just wanted to pause for a minute, and, and I want you to hear what we're saying. God, the creator, the builder, the sustainer, the provider, God invites people, God invites you and I into his, into his work. We see this in the second chapter of Genesis where it says the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of even to work it and to keep it. God would invite us into his good work, stewarding the things that, that he had created. This was our work to steward and to build and to nurture and to help these things flourish. God invites us into that and that says God invites us into the good work that he is doing and through our work we can contribute to the good of others we can help other people to flourish in all the ways that God has intended for them from the beginning. And this is a really good thing. This is a really good thing. Like through our work, we have the opportunity to image God as creator. And I know there are a number of you out here this morning that are our creatives. So many of our partners work in creative spaces. And I just want to say, if you do that kind of work, you have the opportunity to image God because he is the creator. And, and you get to create things that help point and direct people toward Him. And you get to, in your creating, even as simple as it is, you get to help show people that God, this is something of, of which God is like. God Himself is a creator. And you create things that, that direct and point people, as I said, toward Him. And that's, that's a really good thing. For some of you, you are builders. You, you build companies, and you build systems, and you build structures. Some of you actually go to work building things. You work in contracting work, and you actually build structures. And I just want to say that is a good thing. It's good work, and you have an opportunity in that work to image something of who God is as you build things, as you create things, as you kind of build systems and structures and all the infrastructure for things in life and in work, that that is a really meaningful job, and you have an opportunity to image God in those things. Some of you, I know, work as entrepreneurs, and you start companies, and and, and you build them, and as you do that, you provide work for people that provides for their families. And that's a very significant thing, because God is our provider, and so in that kind of work, you're getting to image something of who God is by, by helping to build and create things that help to provide for people's families. A few months back, I was talking to one of our partners who's, who's in this kind of work where he goes and he, he helps to restructure companies, and he helps to build them back up again when they have a, a good product, but they don't know how to actually get it out there, and we were talking about what this is like and how people must be kind of tenuous as, as his company comes in. He's like, no, 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 we we come in and we encourage them, we equip them, we give them raises, we invest in them, we, we give them opportunity, and, and that kind of work is so meaningful to people. It's really good work, and it's an opportunity to image something. something of who God is. And some of you do work that's sustaining work. You do work that helps people to live their lives day in and day out, whether you're a teacher or in your healthcare industry, or there's countless industries where, where you do your work helping just the everyday, ordinary rhythms of people and of society and of the culture that we live in, and that's really good, meaningful work. God is a sustainer, and as you do that work, you have an opportunity to image something of who he is. This is all really good. Can someone say, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's good? I mean, do you guys feel good about the work that God's inviting you to? I hope you do. You and I have opportunities to image who God is in our work, and that's a really good thing. But if you know the storyline of the Bible, you know that, that this invitation into God's work um, wasn't always appreciated. You know, our first parents didn't really appreciate the value of the work that God had done and the value of the work that God invited them into. They thought that there was something missing in God's work, and so they disobeyed God. I don't know how thick your employee manual is at, church, uh, at work or if you've ever read it, uh, but, um, but, but, the, but the, the one that God gave Adam and Eve just had one thing, right? Just don't do this thing. But they disobeyed God. They disregarded that one thing. They thought they could do better work than he could do. And when this happened, sin entered the world. And the good work that God had called us to would no longer, um, it's not that it would cease to be good, it would just be really hard. It would just be really hard, and, and it would be broken. And the systems and the structures and the things that we build would, would not be perfect. They'd be broken, and they would need a lot of work, and that work would be really hard work. In Genesis chapter three it says, And God said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat plants of the field, and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. You ever feel that when you go to work? It's just like the sweat of your brow. I remember early on, when Dean and I first got married, uh, my work at the church couldn't support us, and so I worked with my father-in-law on, on, uh, on Saturdays, and uh, he was a lot older, but he was much stronger and wiser. And I think about the sweat of my brow. I mean, I never worked so hard in my life. Work is hard. But this, this created more than a vocational problem. It created a spiritual problem. Right, it's not just that work would be broken. I said we would be broken, that our relationship with God would be broken because of sin. But, but God, because God um, not only does good work, but He Himself is good. He was never going to leave us in this vocational and in this spiritually broken place. Now, many of you, most of you, know the story that God would work His way to us in the person of Jesus Christ and. In the coming of Christ, he would show us that he's not only committed to his work as, as creator and as builder and as sustainer and as provider, but God has always been committed to his work as savior and redeemer. God is a worker and he not only does good work, good work, he does gospel work. He does the biggest kind of work. He does the best kind of work. He has worked to save us from our sin and redeem all of our lives, including our work through his life and through his death and through his resurrection on our behalf. And I want to pause and say this gospel work is the most meaningful work that's ever been done. And some of you, I know, you struggle at work, and you struggle to find meaning in your work. And others of you think, my work is incredibly meaningful. And I want to say, this is the most meaningful work that any of us could ever be involved in. It's a big job. (laughs) It took a lot of time to unfold, and it took a lot of work. Jesus actually says so, that, that he's always been working on this, and the Father had always been working on this. In John 5, uh, chapter 17, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day. And that was like a no-no to the Pharisees, right? And they get in this discussion about it. And in the midst of that discussion, Jesus says this is curious. He answered them, my father is working until now, and I am working. Jesus tells them that my father's been working uh, on this whole plan of salvation until now. And I'm working. I'm I'm invested. I'm working in it. It's taken a lot of work. The Bible teaches us from eternity past. And the Bible teaches that God invites us into this work as well, just as he did that work in the beginning. Now, it's not just a great mandate or a cultural mandate kind of work for people to flourish and to nurture and to build and to steward and to cultivate. It's not just that kind of work that God's invited us into. And there's a trend, I think, in Christianity today just just to focus more on that that kind of work. And, and, And that's kind of for another message. This morning, we're going to be talking mostly about this kind of work because it's the most important work. In Ephesians 2, verse 10, it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the most important kind of work, and God has always created us to do this kind of work, this most important kind of work, the work that has the highest good. I'm sort of positive. This is one of the incredible things about being a Christian, (laughs) that we get to be involved in both good work and gospel work. You know, before the service we were praying for all of us and, and we were praying over these ideas that, that we all would be encouraged this morning that, that God has given us good work to do. And God has also given us gospel work to do. And, and as Christians, like, we get to be involved in both of those things. And if you're not yet a Christian, you may be doing really good work, and God's using you in, in, in his scheme, in his plan, in his way to help nurture and, f- and help people flourish and help build things. And, and, and we think that's wonderful, but there, there is better work to be done, and there's better work that someone has done for you, and we're going to talk about that a bit later. But as Christians, you know that this is incredible. We, we get to be involved in the good work, and we also get to be involved in the gospel work. And again, there's a lot to say about the good work that God continues to invite us into, and that's for another time and, and another sermon. But this morning, we're going to open up Matthew chapter 9 here, and we're going to see that, that Jesus takes perhaps the most common example of work in his day, labors in a field. It's literally the most menial, the most trivial, the most typical but also some of the most practical and important and essential work, like people harvesting things so other people can eat, that kind of work. And Jesus takes that, that image of that really good, typical work to teach us some things about, about the best work that we can all do, no matter what we do, for work. Five things about gospel work that he invites us into. I think we find the first one in verse 35. Look at it with me. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. I think the first thing we see this morning is that gospel work is simple work. Gospel work is simple work. Now, I know some of you are already in the back of your mind, you're thinking, that doesn't seem too simple. They're teaching and healing of every affliction like this doesn't seem like simple work Matt I know the gospel stories I know there were times that Jesus was so exhausted in this work where he went in the front of the boat and he literally fell asleep and slept through a storm across the lake like I know this was exhausting work this was hard work this was not simple work and by simple work I don't mean that it wasn't hard work I mean, it was uncomplicated work in some sense. You know, no, 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 I've taught the Bible before. I've done BSF. I've done CVS. I've, I've taught studies. I've led Bible study groups. I lead a community group. Like, it's not easy to take thoughts and, and put them together. No, I'm not saying it's not hard work. I'm just saying it's simple work, like it's uncomplicated work. There are two things that Jesus was doing, two. And again, I don't know how long your job description is at work or how many things you're supposed to be doing. You know, if you uh, follow Michael Hyatt, you know, there's probably three things that you should be doing in a week, right? And And you write those things down, and you get after those three big sorts of things. Jesus had two. It was words and work. His words and his works, right? The things that he was doing and the things that he was saying. His teaching and his healing. And we see this other places, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, it says about the same thing. And he went throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming, that's the words, the gospel of the kingdom, and here's the words, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. If you know the book of Matthew, you know that that it's sort of a discipleship manual for the church, and so basically what Matthew's doing here is in Matthew 4, 23, on one side, there's sort of like a bracket, sort of like a... Uh, what's that called that holds up your books? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. It's bracketed at the end of parentheses. And in the other end, in Matthew chapter 9, verse twenty, verse 35, where we're right at this morning, there's another parentheses, another bracket. And, and everything that's in between is framed by these two verses, that Jesus is proclaiming and teaching and he's healing and he's helping. It's, it's his words and his works. This is what Jesus is doing. And it's almost as if Matthew saying, this is saying, this is what discipleship is about. This is what being involved in the work that Jesus has invited us to is about. It's proclaiming it with your words, and it's, it's doing with your works. Jesus, in a sense, I think, is, uh, Matthew says, has given us kind of a summary job description. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Teaching, which means instructing or explaining. And that word healing actually means to wait upon menially or to serve or to heal, or to relieve. And I think the question for us is, what are we saying to the people around us, and what are we doing to to sort of get down underneath and serve them? This is the needs that these people had. They needed physical healing. And there's other needs that the people around you have. And the question is, what are we saying that will point them, or proclaim the gospel to them, and what are we doing that will point them to the truth of the gospel? Word and works. You know, you may have heard the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words, and I've talked about it a number of times, because I just don't think it's true. I think it's more true to say, preach the gospel, and it is necessary to use words, right? You have to use words to preach the gospel, but there is, there is sort of a, a truth. I, I get what they're getting at when, when people say this, when they repeat the quote preach the gospel and if necessary use words sometimes we just focus on the words and we don't focus on the works and and we don't we don't do the things that would point people to the truth of the gospel much less maybe sometimes even say things but if we say them maybe we don't do them if we do them we don't say them it's a both and it's a word and works this is the work that god's inviting us into so what should i say about the gospel and what should i do that would help point people toward the gospel I know this is not easy. I'm saying it's simple, like it's uncomplicated, but, you know, I have a, a grown daughter who's going to work now. You know, when we talk about these sorts of things, like I want to share the gospel with my, my coworkers, and how, when do I do that? Do I do that when I work? No, when I do that when we work, but then when I go to lunch, do I do that? Or do we go out after work and I do that? Or how long does it take to actually get that opportunity? I know you're all thinking about those things. And to really simplify it this morning, it's just words and work. Words and works. But the gospel is more than simple work. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Here we see that gospel work is compassionate work. Gospel work is compassionate work. This, this word, moved with compassion, literally means he was moved in his bowels. <laughs> but Jesus felt something for the people that were around him. Like the things that, that, that they were struggling with, it hurt him, it grabbed him. This was a major motivation. It was not the only motivation, but it was a major motivation in what Jesus was doing. Jesus had compassion on the people around him. And, and what was it that, that Jesus had compassion on? What was it that grabbed him? What was it that he, that he kind of felt the hurt in? Well, in verse 36, it says that they were harassed and they were helpless. And I appreciated that when Greg read the scripture, he paused on those two words. They were harassed and they were helpless. And I'm assuming that's because Greg knows a lot about the Bible. He knows a lot about Greek and he knows a lot about the emphasis of these two words. They were harassed and they were helpless. The word harassed literally means to, to like, to flay, (laughs) to flay the skin. It's like death by a thousand cuts. It's like a torture kind of idea it can be. And what are they harassed by? Well, it says they are helpless. It literally means to be cast down, right? to be pressed down, to be pushed down. And these people were, were harassed, and they were helpless. They were living lives outside of God's design. And, and can you imagine going about the everyday, ordinary things of life, including their work, without any any concept that the work that they're doing is good work in God's scheme and without any concept of the work that they're doing could be helpful in, in, in the gospel scheme. To go on about your whole life just, just working that way, yes, you would be pressed down. Yes, you could get depressed. Yes, you could say, like, what am I doing? Yes, you could say, what is this work even all about? Well, we're going to talk about that in the book of Ecclesiastes starting next week, a little plug. What am I supposed to be doing? Why am I here? Is this meaningful? What am I contributing Imagine living your whole life that way, being pressed down and pushed down, unable to help yourself, work sort of your way up. When you're spending time with Jesus and catching up on his compassion for people, do you feel the kind of compassion that Jesus has for the people around us when they're harassed and they're helpless, they're pressed down? You know what it's like to to be a Christian and to do good work and to do gospel work and the meaning that brings to your life. There's so many people around you and I that don't understand what that that's about. Does that move you? Does that grab you? But gospel work is more than just simple work and compassionate work. Look at verse 37. It says, He said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And here we learn that gospel work is necessary work. Gospel work is necessary work. It means something. Maybe sometimes you go to work and you're like, is what I'm doing even meaningful? Is this even necessary? If I wasn't doing this, would someone else do it? You'll never have to think about that when you're doing gospel work. Gospel work is necessary work because the harvest is plentiful. Notice Jesus didn't say, like, the harvest is, is sparse. Did you ever notice that? He doesn't say that. He could have said that. He didn't. He said the harvest is plentiful. There are lots of people, thousands of people, millions of people, tens of millions of people that need to hear the gospel and need to see good works that point them in that direction. The harvest is plentiful, Jesus says, but the laborers are few. There is a lot of work to do, and there are not a lot of workers who are doing the work. This is what Jesus is saying. In the city of Irvine, there are 275,000 people. In Orange County, there are 3.2 million people. And out of the 275,000 people that are in Irvine, 38,000 of them would even profess to believe the things that we believe. 35,000, 14% of the 275,000 people just in this city would even profess, whether they really do or not, would even profess to believe the things that we believe. About salvation through faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. Revealed through the scripture alone, all all the alones, right? 14%. 38,000 out of 275,000 people. And the stats are pretty much the same for Orange County. 448,000 people out of the 2.7 million people in Orange County would even profess the things that we 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 didn't profess to believe, the things that we say we believe about Jesus and the truth of His gospel. Village Church, there is a lot of work to do, but there are not a lot of workers that are engaged doing it. Again, you might think to yourself in your work day in and day out, like, am I really needed here? Do they really need me to do this work? Could someone else do this work? And when we're talking about gospel work, the answer is always yes. The answer is always yes. Yes, you are needed. Yes, you are needed. We need people to do this work. It's necessary work. It's not just simple work. It's not just compassionate work. It's not just necessary work. Verse 38, therefore, pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Gospel work is prayerful work. This is where the work begins. You might say, like, okay, Matt, I'm hearing all you're saying. I'm hearing, like, great. I want to be involved in good work, and I believe I am. And I want to be involved in gospel work. And I want to be involved in word and works. And I'm looking for the opportunity. Like, I want to share Christ with my coworkers. I'm looking for the opportunity. And yeah, maybe I could say more or maybe I could do more that actually points them to the gospel in some kind of way. But, but this is what I want to do. Honestly, in I, some, some sense, I don't really know where to start. This is the place to start. This is where the real work, this is where the gospel work really starts. Oswald Chambers has this quote. He says, prayer is not the preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. So if if you and I want to begin to do not only good work but gospel work, this is the place that it begins. It begins with prayer. Prayer is not the preparation for the work. Prayer is the work. And I believe Chambers was on to something. I think that's true. Because I believe God works in and through the prayers of his people And this is where it begins. Prayer is the beginning of the work. It's the first priority in the work. And maybe you're asking the question, okay, well, what do I pray for? Because I can pray about my work. I can pray for the work of the gospel. What do I pray for? Jesus actually tells us specifically what to pray for. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. There is an earnest prayer that we're supposed to be praying. Like a devoted prayer, a continual prayer, a passionate prayer, that God would raise up laborers, that he would send out laborers into his harvest field. Again, Jesus is using the most common example of work and meaningful work in his day to to teach on this idea of gospel work. And this word laborer, it literally means that. It just means like day laborer or workman. It is everyday ordinary work it's the work of the every man or the every woman it's it's this is everyday ordinary work So I just want to pause here and say, I don't believe what Jesus is saying is pray that God would raise up laborers to go out into His harvest field. I don't think He's saying specifically like pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask Him to send out missionaries or pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask Him to send out pastors or pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask Him to send out like nonprofit workers or pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask Him to raise up deacons or pray to the Lord of the harvest and ask Him to raise up elders and all these people that are going to lead the mission forward. Yes and Amen. But I believe what he's saying is, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest field, that he would send out the everyday, ordinary members of his church, which, by the way, are everybody. Like, a pastor is an everyday, ordinary person who, by the grace of God, is called into that role, either vocationally or bivocationally, vocationally and that's no different than what you're called into for your work. Like, every Christian is an ordinary Christian. All of us are everyday, ordinary people that are invited into the good work and the gospel work that God is doing, and we each have a unique part and role to play, and praise God for that. I believe we're to pray that God would send all of us. I believe you're to pray that, that God would send you out into the field. The harvest is plentiful around you. I believe you're to pray that God would send out the people in your community group out into the field. The harvest is plentiful. I believe that you and I are supposed to pray that God would send all of us out into the harvest field. It's plentiful, and Greg and Angela are headed out to Italy, but you don't have to go across the pond right, to be involved in what God is doing. And, And maybe you will. Maybe that is the harvest field. Sounds like they're really excited to get there, and it's probably because they sense God inviting them there. And the harvest is plentiful there, and let me tell you, the labors are very few there. That's as true here as it is there. This word send out literally means to cast out, or to drive out. It's like, pray that God would, like, push you out. It's almost as if Jesus understands our tendencies, right? (laughs) To kind of, like, take a step back, I'm going to ease into this. He's going to pray that that the Lord would raise up the labors and just thrust them out into the harvest field. Get out there. Jesus is not recruiting laborers. He's sending laborers that are already his. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers to go out into his harvest field. I don't believe that this is about Jesus recruiting new laborers. The laborers are there. They're just few. He's sending out the laborers that are already his. And that's you, and that's me. That's us. We are the laborers. And you and I have a tremendous opportunity to to go to work with dad every every day. Frederick Bruner says this, where there is prayer, there is mission. It is as simple as that. Where there is little prayer, there is little mission. I just thought, wow. Isn't that true? And doesn't that fit perfectly with what we're talking about this morning? Like, this is what we are praying for. That he would drive out, send out labors into his harvest field. And at the end of our time, at the end of the sermon, I am going to pray for that. We're not going to just look at this and say, like, we should do this. We're going to actually even pray for this. This week I had the privilege of sitting down for a couple hours with a guy that leads a, a church planting initiative out of South Africa. And They planted a church, and now it's, you know, tens of churches, and there's hundreds of churches all over Africa and all over Europe, and now they're making their way to the States, and one of my friends is involved, and... He's in a six-month elder and pastor training process, and he's just like a real estate guy that decided, like, I'm going to get involved in ministry. And so he's doing his business from South Africa, and he's getting training, and he's going to come back here and probably plant a church in Newport Beach. And it's like this, and, and, and they, their, their movement is growing so much because they're going to go, he said, I'm going to go back to South Africa, and our people understand this so well that I'm going to go back, and I'm going to say, we believe the harvest is plentiful in America. Think about that think about that for a second. A guy from South Africa is saying, we believe the harvest is plentiful in America and in Orange County, but the laborers are few. So he's going to go back to his church and he's going to say, we need people from South Africa to move to Orange County. I know it's a rough move, okay? I mean, I know it's a little bit of an upgrade, I think, but I'm just saying this is their whole lives and their families and people are going to raise their hands and they say, I want to go. There's going to be a bunch of people that are going to come forward in their church and say, we believe we're going to go and they're going to send them out to this harvest field because they believe here that the harvest is plentiful but they know that the laborers are few are we praying that God would send up laborers that we send us out into this harvest field listen church gospel work is more than simple work and compassionate work and necessary work and prayerful work and I just want to pause and say this is not in the text but I know that you know this if you're a Christian is that gospel work is satisfying work (laughs) And I see some of you smiling and out in your head because you know if you're involved in this work, it is the most satisfying work. Like when you go to work in a day and you accomplish something in your work that really is successful and it feels really meaningful. And you come home and you share with your roommates or you share with your spouse. This is what I did today. And this is what God invited me into. And the presentation went great. And they said yes to all this stuff. And it's not only going to be helpful to us and to my company, but like this is good stuff that I'm a part of. And you feel so satisfied. And at the end of the day, you're just like... Thank you, Lord, that you have invited me into this work. And if you're sharing the gospel with your coworkers, and if you're coming alongside them, and you're helping them understand something more about who Jesus is, you you understand that that is the most satisfying work. That this is where it's at. If you want to be satisfied in your work, you and I, we all have opportunity to be satisfied in our work. God's invited us into good work and gospel work. Both of those things. And so any work can be good work, and any work has an opportunity for connections to gospel work. And in that sense, our work can always be satisfying. When we see new believers come to faith, is there any more satisfying than that? It's amazing. It's incredibly satisfying work. And isn't satisfying work wonderful? This is the most satisfying work. as we wrap up our time, I want to tell you that that God's already done the best work and the most satisfying work is the work of the cross. And if um, if you're visiting us this morning, we we always want to talk about the cross. We always want to talk about the gospel. We want to be a gospel-centered church. We want to talk about Jesus a lot because that's what this is all about. It's about his work, not our work. It's about the work that he's already done. And I want to say that the work of the gospel, when you really boil that, it is simple work. I mean, it wasn't simple work like it was easy work. Jesus sweat great drops of blood in the garden, okay? I'm not saying it's easy work. Jesus hung on a cross, okay? I'm not, we're not saying it's easy work, but the gospel really is a simple idea, right? That, that we are sinful people, that we've sinned against God, and we can never make that up on our own as finite beings. And someone had to do something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, and so Jesus did that. God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ and he lived a sinless life on our behalf a life that we could never live and he died a sinner's death on the cross in our place and for our sins something we could never do for ourselves and he rose from death something we could certainly never do for ourselves that, and that, to give us a life we could never have otherwise and when we place our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus as our savior who come to save us from our sins our sins are forgiven we're free to, to live the life that God created us to live from the beginning it's essentially a simple idea Gospel work is compassionate work. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. God sees. God knows. God's not a, a vengeful ogre in the sky. God comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ, and he lives the life that you and I live, only perfectly. I mean, he condescends. He feels. He knows. He understands. The work of the cross was necessary work. There's nothing that you and I could have done to reconcile ourselves to God. Jesus came to do it for us. Gospel work is ultimately satisfying work. The work of the cross was satisfying. That on the cross, God satisfied his his justice towards sin while at the same time forgiving sinners through the work of Jesus. Jesus says it was finished. It was finished. it was done and god's god 's wrath towards sin is satisfied the The cross is satisfying work. The cross is the best work that 's ever been done It was done by Jesus and it was done for us it 's not something we can do for ourselves. The work of the cross is his work it 's not our work I mean, in America, I think we tend to approach our are in the same way we approach our vocational lives. If we just sort of work a little bit harder, we'll gain some more favor with the boss. But that's not the way it works with the gospel. We don't work hard so that he will save us. We work hard because he already has. And this is really, I think, the real true idea of the Protestant work ethic. It's not that we work hard because we're trying to earn his approval. We work hard because we already have it. And we work out of gratitude. Yes, we work hard. Not because we're earning anything, but because he's already earned something for us. And now our work just gets to be done in joyful obedience, in joyful partnership with him. I think this is the good news this morning, that Jesus has done all of your work for you. And he invites you into his work in the lives of other people like you. And I hope that's good news for you this morning. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we pray. We pause this morning. We just we thank you for the work that you have done. The hardest work, the work of the cross. There's never been more. There's never been a harder work that's ever been done, and you you alone could do it, and you alone did do it. And we want to say thank you. There's never been harder work done, and there's never been more joyful work done. We know the Bible says, for the joy that was set before you, that you endured the cross and you despised the shame. It was, it was joyful work for you to do the work of the cross. And we pause and we say thank you this morning. And we thank you that there's nothing that we have to do. There's no work that we could do to earn anything that you've already earned for us. And so this morning, we just humbly and we soberly say thank you. And we recognize that we are your workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you have prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we want to pause and we do want to pray to you, the Lord of the harvest. Father, we pray to you, the Lord of the harvest, that you would raise up and that you would send out labors into your harvest field. We pray that you would send us. We think about Isaiah. We've been reading in our reading plan. Here am I, Lord, send me. We think about all of the people that were sent in the early church. Yeah, they were sent across the nations, but they were sent into their communities. And Lord, we, we just say, here we are, Lord, send us. Would you raise us up and would you, would you send us into your harvest field? And we just want to say, we thank you. We're, we're grateful that we get to be involved in your work and the things that you're doing. So we thank you. We praise you. We say these things in your name and for your sake, Jesus. Amen.